Well, as your pastor, you'll, I'm sure, be glad to know I've only shot one person in my life. I thought you'd be a little more disturbed. Shooting just one's not really a good thing now, is it? No, I was, I was uh, nine years old. My sister was seven years old, and I had my Daisy BB gun, and uh, she was on the wrong end, end of that. We lived in kind of a new housing development. We were kind of the only house in our area, and so there was, uh, unlike Virginia where there's trees all around you, in Texas there was fields all around you, and my sister was out in these fields, and she was picking flowers, a, a little bouquet, very cute, pristine moment. I mean, just a very picturesque moment for a mom. Unfortunately for my sister, I was not her mom. And so she's out there picking flowers, and uh, she didn't know I was out there, and she bent over to pick a flower. I saw the shot, and I took it. <laughs> and uh, she, she screamed. And uh, I may have only been nine, but I can do the math. That's probably going to mean a lot of trouble for me. And so uh, realizing that she had not seen me yet, I, I threw my, my BB gun into the bushes and, I, and I, I hightailed it out of there. I was gone. I figured this is a good time to leave. And, and a little bit later, after I felt like enough time had passed, I, I cautiously entered my house to find my mother still caring for my sister there on the couch. And I said, what, what, uh, what, what happened? And uh, my mom, praise the Lord, did not know. And she said, you know, I, I, I don't know what happened. Is the big welt here? I, it looks like maybe a bee stung her. And uh, I said the only thing that came to my mind, well, the bees are bad today. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, obviously I'm telling this story publicly, so you know I didn't hold to that lie. I, I did feel overwhelmed by guilt. And a year or two into my marriage, I told my parents <laughs> and my sister what I, what I had done. And uh, so we're all good now. It's a small limp that she walks with. But, uh, you know, my wife will swear that, that my boys made, you know, guns out of their fingers and were making gun noise before they'd ever seen anything like that. She's, before they'd even seen anything on TV, they were doing that. I know there's a lot of moms that would say their children, particularly the uh, male variety, can be born with a, a real destructive streak, even a, a killing streak. And man, sure enough, do you know, we're only a few pages into Scripture before we see the third recorded sin, a murder. One brother murders another brother. And so God comes with what obviously is a very plain command. Don't do that. <laughs> you know, do not murder. We come today to our sixth great word, our, our sixth of the Ten Commandments as we are working our way through that. And I would like to suggest, I hope what we're going to see this morning, is that while we're not to murder, there, there's probably some more going on in that command than just don't kill each other. And you know, we are a murderous society, a murderous people, a murderous world. Even with that command clearly on the books, we're killing each other. And it's getting worse and worse. As a matter of fact, and I'm not even addressing crime. I'm talking about what the state does. The state, the, the nations, the governments of the world. In the last 100 years, or in the 1900s, 1901 to 1999, 
the state killed 125 million people through war, revolution, genocide, ethnic cleansing. 125 million people. That is more people in that 100-year time span than all of the rest of human history added up. We're a murderous people. We kill. And not only that, we're actually entertained by it. We probably never thought of saying it that way, but, but we are actually entertained by murder. We, we go and watch it. We, we go and see it. As a matter of fact, now, the world probably doesn't have a big problem going to see rated R movies, but in here, you know, we say shame, shame. Don't go see rated R movies. But, you know, we will say uh, uh, among Christians, you know, well, it was rated R, but it, it was just because of violence. Oh, well, then take the kids. Like somehow that just makes it all okay. I mean, if there's sex or boobs, you're going straight to hell for seeing that movie. But a high body count, man, you're good to go. You know, folks, whether we're talking about entertainment or the state or crime, you know, we need to remember something. God is a lover of life. Bottom line, God loves life. And so he brings this great word, he, he brings this command to us, the sixth, by the way, it's tied with number eight for being the shortest. You think of some of the commands we've worked through there, you know, there's several sentences long, they're kind of beefy there. This one's three words, do not murder, very simple, very short. And when most of us hear that, we think, okay, I, I, I'm not supposed to use my hands. I'm not supposed to take a weapon and as an act of aggression go and, and kill somebody. I'm not supposed to do that. And most of us are thinking right now, well, I, you know, I, I haven't done that. Don't plan on doing that. This is, this is one sermon. I, you know, I'd feel pretty good about this one. Good to go. Not, not planning on killing anybody. And, and we think we've got this one covered until ugh, Jesus comes and just messes it all up. I mean, do you remember what he said? I think we'd run right by this. Look what he said in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. Oh yeah, Lord, I remember that. Yeah, if you do that, you're going to be judged. And Jesus says, but I tell you, don't even be angry with your brother or you'll be subject to the same judgment. And then he adds hellfire judgment. I think he very strategically adds the hellfire part. Well, that's a tough word, isn't it? I, I think he adds that word because I think it'd be our tendency to hear Jesus say, you know, not only are you not supposed to murder, you're not even supposed to be angry or you'll be judged. And we'll hear that and go, well, I know that. Yeah, you're not, you're not supposed to be angry. You'll, you'll be judged. But, but not as bad as murder, right, Lord? No, just as bad. Same judgment. Well, Lord, that doesn't, that doesn't hardly seem right. Why? Why is that such a big issue to you? And I think Jesus would say, because life is so valuable. Life is so precious. I don't even want you on the road that leads to murder. I don't even want you getting on the entrance ramp of anger and bitterness and rage. I don't even want you moving that direction on a road that can end up in murder. To which you and I are going to respond. Will you allow me to speak to you for you in a moment? I'll speak on your behalf. We're going to say, but Lord, come on. I, I, you know, I've been angry, gosh, I guess thousands of times. I've never killed anybody. I don't know, I, a matter of fact, God, I've got a certain level of confidence that 
that I could be angry a thousand times more and, and still not kill anybody. And Jesus would say, no, what's going on in your heart and mind will bring the same judgment. But, but how is that, Lord? That just doesn't that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem fair. Folks, again, we remember God's a lover of life. God is a promoter of life and anger and rage make me more like the murderer than it does God. Think of yourself. On a spectrum and you're standing at dead center, OK, and, and God is God's over there against the wall and a murderer is over there against that wall. So there's the murderer. There's God. Now I get I get angry. OK, now not bad angry, just, you know, grouchy mood, angry. We were out of coffee this morning, didn't know it, and a lot of noise. And so I'm angry. Rah! OK, so I've moved a little bit, not a lot, just a little bit angry. I'm over it by 10, 30 or 11. And and so I, I've moved a little bit. But now that's not the only way I'm angry, is it? Neither is it for you. Sometimes we actually do get angry, angry, uh, angry, angry. Uh, <laughs> speech therapy is coming along well. Uh, Sometimes I get like really want to hurt somebody angry like they're a really bad, awful, mean person. I want to attack them angry. Now, I'm still I'm not over there with the murderer, but look what I'm doing. I'm moving way down the spectrum. I, I, I'm moving way over here. So when Jesus says that anger is going to bring the same judgment as murder, we're looking at what, so what we're doing is we're looking at the murderer and saying, man, Lord, there, there's a lot of distance between me and the murderer. I, I'm not, I haven't done that. I'm not like that. And what we haven't recognized is how far away we've moved from God. I mean, folks, if I'm way over here, whose neighborhood am I living in? In the murderer's neighborhood or God's neighborhood? See, I put myself right over here in the same place as the murderer. And Jesus says, man, I'm going to tell you something. This is a huge deal. As a matter of fact, Jesus gives an illustration. I didn't put it on the screen, but if you were to read the rest of the passage, Jesus says, you know, let's say you're sitting in church. You're, you're, you're sitting in worship this morning and you're hearing this and all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're convicted. Man, I really do have some, some built-up anger, some, some bitterness, some, some hatefulness towards somebody. Jesus says when you become aware of that, you go deal with it. You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to think about it. You get up and you go take care of that. Now watch how profound what Jesus is saying here. I think a lot of us say the most important thing in life we can do is bring glory to God. The most important thing in life we can do is worship. And Jesus is saying right here, let me tell you something. It's more important that you go reconcile than it is that you fulfill the duty of worship. Imagine God saying, don't worship me. That's not the big issue right now. You go take care of this. Big deal to God. Real big deal to God, the hate and the anger, the bitterness we have built up toward others. Let's switch gears for a moment. Go in a whole, whole different direction. Is it ever okay to kill? Yes, it is. Uh, there's There's... Possibly four different places, three very clear right out of Scripture. Uh, there's three places where it's OK to kill one. I think of an implication and quite possibly the three of them. The state are capital punishment, law and order and war. The fourth being self-defense. Now, the, the, the first three come right out of Scripture. The, the, the Scripture gives the state the authority to kill. Now, let me say something real quickly about that. That doesn't mean this every time the state kills, it's doing it righteously and justly. I, I think in many cases, the state, the nations, the governments of the world have wrongly 
killed, whether it be an individual or, or groups of people, and they will stand before God for using that authority, using that power in the wrong way. But Romans chapter 13 is a passage where it says that the government has been given the authority to kill. For government is God's servant to you for good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. Because it does not carry the sword, and understand that metaphor to be, it does not carry the authority to kill for no reason. For government is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on those who do wrong. Now, a verse like that is, is very clearly speaking to the, for the, the police officer who, who takes a life uh, in the line of duty to protect their own life, to, to protect a citizen's life. That officer is not liable before God. That officer has not done wrong before God. Uh, th this passage would refer to the judge, to the executioner, who are bringing about a capital punishment, who are bringing about the, the death penalty. They're not liable for that. They've not done something wrong in doing that. Interesting thing on, on, those, on, that, on capital punishment, there are those in the, in the debate over pro-life, that, that being pro-life being against abortion, that would look at those who are pro-life and say there's a contradiction there because many, probably not all, but many of those who are pro-life are also for or pro-capital punishment. So how can you say you are for life and then be for the taking of life? That, that's a contradiction. You can't be both of those. How can you do that? Well, it's, it's very simple. I just, I just do what God does. That, that's God's thought on that. And there is one sentence, one simple, straightforward sentence where God shows both a pro-life and a pro-capital punishment in the same sentence. Look at this here in Genesis 9-6. It says very clearly, whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. Why? Because that person you killed was created in the image of God. Do you see both? Do you see the pro-life and the capital punishment? The pro-life. Life has tremendous value. Why? Because it's created in the image of God. Do you realize to attack a human life is literally to attack the image of God? It's to attack God himself. And, and there can be no more punishment for that. There can be no greater punishment than that, than that of sacrificing your own life. Life is of great value. We are pro-life. And anything that moves against, that attacks, that advances against a human life, gives up their life. So folks, being pro-life and pro-capital punishment are not only a con not a contradiction, being pro-life demands it. Man, because we are pro-life, to take Jesus' words, we're constantly guarding against any attitude of, of rage or anger because I realize, man, if I let this thing run its course, I'm going to have to sacrifice my own life. So we, are, we can be both pro-life and capital punishment. They do go together. Now, the third one, uh, the first two are dealing with the state versus an individual. The third one is the state versus state, government against government, nation against nation. And that kind of gets into a debate of a just war. And I really don't plan on working through that this morning. I'm going to make an assumption, and it is an assumption, that, that there is a just war. And in that just war argument, I'm just going to refer quickly to a guy by the name of Arthur F. Holmes. He wrote a book called A Just War, and he kind of outlined uh, what has kind of become the, the accepted standard 
for what a just war looks like. You see, there's seven items here. A just cause, a just intention. It's the last resort. There's a formal declaration, limited objectives, proportionate means, and non-combatant immunity. Now, folks, if, if you spend any time trying to look at and understand war and nations going against each other, you try to understand something like that, you really have to stop and appreciate the fact that the United States of America is still to this day a really very unique and special nation in the history of humanity. Uh, I mean, we have fought wars that are mostly just. It might be people who disagree with that, but I think as I understand history and what we were doing in that war, we were fighting just wars. Our soldiers handled themselves in just ways. That doesn't mean the individual soldier, the soldier by himself, does not, as Jesus said, need to guard against. Man, I can't imagine this would be very difficult in the heat of battle with all that adrenaline flowing. You still have to guard against a murderous rage. We're not murderers. But that soldier acting under his officers, acting under the authority of the state, is not liable. They're not doing wrong. And to look at the United States and realize we have gone into war after war after war and it was never to take over people. It was never to take their lands. It was never to take their resources. It was to free people. Folks, we have a special nation and we have a special military, don't you think? Can we, can we thank the Lord for that? Man, what a, what a unique and special thing that is when you look at human history. And so there, there's three places where the Scripture defines where it is just, where it is right uh, to kill. Now, the fourth one, a, a little bit difficult, a little bit tricky. I think we would mostly assume that it's okay to, be, to, uh, to defend ourselves if somebody's advancing against our lives. I, I, I said in the last service, I don't remember a passage that clearly says self-defense is right or that self-defense is wrong. Somebody reminded me, I believe there's a passage in, in the law, somewhere between Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, where it may have spoken to that. And I do tend to believe that, that because of the high value that Scripture places on life, even with Jesus saying something like, turn the other cheek, that, that while if somebody's advancing against your life, you have the right, the opportunity to, to protect yourself in that. But folks, even as I take time to roll through all the... I mean, it sounds like I just took, talked about a lot of places we can kill, right? No, there actually wasn't that many places. There are several places where the state, the state has that authority. But folks, there's almost no place where God says that the individual has a right to take human life into their own hands, where the individual has a right to, de to decide the, the deservedness of another person to keep living. The bottom line is we are not to kill. You want to be right with God? You want to be right with man? We don't kill. Jesus goes so far as to say, man, not only kill, guard against all the emotions that come right before killing. Even if you think you can handle those emotions, guard against those things. Now, I say all that, and I still think that most of us sit here and think, oh, that's interesting, that's cool, but this is just not an issue for me. This is just not a problem. Don't, don't feel a real sense of conviction here. But, but let, let me think about it this way. Let, let's look at it this way. Okay, I'm assuming y'all were all here last Sunday, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, and so you were here last Sunday. You're here today. And so I look back over the last seven days, and man, praise the Lord, I didn't kill a single person. So I'm good to go. Preach away, Pastor. Let them have it. Both barrels. Oh, that's a bad pun. Um, 
I didn't kill anybody in the last day, so I have covered that command. I am right before God, right? Really? I'm not so sure. Because I think that, that, thr- that the thrust of that command, folks, is about a lot more than just not killing somebody. All ten of these commands, and really all of the commands in Scripture, are a description of who and what God is. They're a description of what God is like. And in fulfilling those commands and obeying those commands, you and I have the opportunity to be like God, to live like God. Folks, God is more than just not a murderer. Do you agree? I mean, God did more this past week than just not murder somebody. Okay, so if my goal, my desire is to be like God, what all does this command entail? It entails more than not killing. It entails promoting life. God God promotes life. God created it. God sustains it. God blesses with it. And not only does God bless with life, but man, He wants to give abundant life. And even beyond that, eternal life. Folks, do you see that God is all about life? As a matter of fact, when Jesus said, I want to give abundant life, he countered that against the murderer. He said, Satan, the devil, he comes to kill. I've come to give life. Okay, so, yeah, okay, I'm not exactly like the devil in that I didn't kill somebody this week, but am I totally like God in that I'm promoting and giving life? Folks, we are to be pro-life. Now, when I say that, you know, in our... In our culture, in our society, that, that's a political statement, is it? And yeah, this argument includes that. I think this argument demands that we be pro-life in the area of abortion. As a matter of fact, with all of the different arguments that we work through about what's really in the womb and as it comes out of its womb, what's going to be the quality of life or the different circumstances and issues, and we work through these different scenarios, we have to work through those in debating the world. But in here, it's just enough that God says, you know something? Life is so sacred sacred and precious. At the very minimum, what is in that womb is budding human life created in the very image of God. And that demands that with everything we are, we treat it as sacred and precious and we value it. So we have to be pro-life regardless of any other argument, regardless of any other circumstances. But when I say, are you pro-life, I'm not just talking about a political issue this morning. Let me ask the question a little bit different. Are you a promoter of life? Do you promote life in your conversations? Do you promote life in the way you entertain? Do you promote life in thinking and talking and in dealing with your enemies? Do you promote life in the way you Love and forgive. Are you, like God, a lover of humanity? Humanity, that means all of it. Are you a lover of humanity? Let me give you two quick, simple ways. I think we can be a lover of humanity. Number one, you ready for this very difficult one? Be kind. Kindness. I might look at you and, you know, you, you annoy me or our personalities just clash or maybe you're an enemy. I, don't, I mean, I really don't. But you know what? You are a human being created in the image of God. And for that reason alone, I will respect the image of God. With kindness, 
kindness? Are we kind as we deal with humanity? Are we kind as we deal with people for no other reason than we're promoters of life? They're created in the image of God. I value life. Maybe the second thing we can do. Again, my goal is to be like God, to promote life like God does. Well, how does God promote life? Well, I already quoted that. Jesus said, I've come to give life and life abundantly. Life eternally. Are you and I a part of that process that God has created where where we can join God in sharing eternal life? Are you sharing with people about who God is and what he's done in your life? Are, Are you sharing the gospel? How they can be saved from sin and death and hell. How they can be saved from what? Death. So they can have what? Life. Are you sharing that? Is that a part of your conversation, your lips and tongue? Are are you doing maybe even as simple as encouraging them in the Lord, inviting them to church, inviting them to be in places where they can know and find God? Are we a part of a process of encouraging not only physical life, (laughs) breathing, but are we encouraging spiritual life, abundant, eternal life? I mean, have we really accomplished something? Because we didn't kill somebody in the last seven days? Really? Is that all there is to it? Man, God's about a whole lot more than just not killing somebody in the last seven days. God loves humanity. Do you? What very real physical, objective ways will you show that this week? We want to do more when we get back next Sunday than just not have killed somebody, right? Right? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and and God, as we talk about a subject like this, I'm just grateful that I do have life. What What a blessing to breathe. What a blessing to enjoy food on our tongue that tastes good. And it, and it tastes good because you put taste buds there. You didn't have to. You just love life and you, you love making life a, an abundant, enjoyable experience. Gave me eyes to see a blue sky and the mountains and the ocean. Gave me hands and arms to shake somebody's hand, to hug to celebrate and enjoy life with others. Life's such a good thing. And it can go so further beyond this. But not in our own power. We can't create eternal life. As a matter of fact, we've done much to live eternally in death and hell. Lord, there might be those in here today that have never come to the place of receiving eternal life. They've been born. They're walking around on the planet. But they're not ready to walk around in heaven. Lord, if there's people in here today that don't have eternal life, would you tell them right now? Let them know you're not prepared to live forever. And would you put in them a faith and a trust that says you've done all the work so that they can. Would they stop trusting in you and come and trust in your work? Lord, I pray that 
many of us in here who have come to that decision, who have eternal life, that God, we'd be lovers of humanity, the humanity that you created, the humanity that's in your image. May we be lovers of people. And God, may this week we promote life in our kindness. And may we promote life and maybe just in a way we encourage somebody in you. God, I want my life, my home, my church to be all about life. Just like you. What an awesome opportunity to be just like you. Thank you, Jesus, for making that possible. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.